it's not always about raising the money, but it's a raising the awareness and the mission. Because if you get people to spread the word, right, even if they don't donate, but if they're spreading the word, then you might get some donors down the road. Because the, the main mission is not about bringing money in, but it's about people living your mission. As fundraisers, we often focus on the ask. Yet sometimes it's important to share a story and express gratitude. I'm Kimberly O'Donnell, and this is Accidental Fundraiser, a show from Network for Good that shares radically authentic stories from the trenches. Monkey's House provides loving care to homeless dogs with terminal diagnosis or hard-to-adopt disabilities. As an all-volunteer, donations-funded organization, they have no paid employees. Jeff Allen co-funded Monkey's House with his wife, Michelle. His wife is the director, and he works behind the scenes, fundraising and building awareness. Jeff joins me to discuss the impact of social media and how to grow your followers, as well as your donor base. Jeff first saw the value of an online audience after his wife was featured on CNN, making their social media explode overnight. And as more people became aware of Monkey's House, Jeff saw their fundraising ability increase alongside their following. In our conversation, Jeff shares the importance of spreading the mission wherever you can and showing gratitude for each donor, no matter the size of their contribution. Now let's join the conversation, starting with Jeff's favorite fundraising milestones. You need to have a platform to help you fundraise. Platform today is social media, right? Have a big following to help you, right? We call them our monkey's house family. We try to really get them involved. We post uh, every night on Facebook, we're storytellers. We tell stories about the dogs, pictures of the dogs. We have a global following across the world that fall in love with these dogs that they've never even met. So the big thing was when we got up to 10,000 followers, right? And the donations were starting to support us. Then the best thing is if you can get some media attention. And we got on some of the local ABCs, Fox Networks, uh, CNN actually came out. And then that same year, Michelle was a CNN hero, which is really big news. So what happened was we went from 10,000 followers, us struggling to get followers, to 50,000 followers almost overnight. So now you have over 78,000 followers on Facebook. People are connected to you globally. What does your engagement strategy look like? Do you have a plan for how you nurture relationships with donors? I could have a better one, but... I have a newsletter that goes out. And what I really tried not to do is I don't try to raise money all the time. So I really try to tell stories about the dogs. If it's in the fall and maybe I go, I go to the state forest, which are close to here, I'll take some of the dogs or we take trips to the Jersey Shore. So I'll have an article about the Jersey Shore with some pictures in the newsletter. It's really to keep them engaged, but I don't always want to be asking them for money. Um, one of the big things that I do near the end of the year for some bigger donors if I haven't heard from them, I won't go. With, I won't go out and ask them for money. What I do is I, we have calendars every year, and that's how another way we we raise money is calendars of the dogs. I will send them a calendar and just say, "Oh, thanks for your support in the past," and send them a calendar or else the book that I wrote. I'll send them the book. I'll, I'll personalize the book and send them a book. Next thing you know, they send a check in. So I think it is. It's just kind of keeping a good relationship with your donors, but not asking them for something all the time. That's a great way to look at it. You are inviting. 
your supporters to give to you and they can give to you during any period of the year. And I love that you are sending them things that kind of keep them connected to Monkey's House by showing them pictures and telling the stories through the the calendar and your book. Do you consider yourself an accidental fundraiser? I think I am. You know, years ago, before we even had Monkey's House, I do a lot of cycling. So, And then all of a sudden I started doing all these, you know, charity bike rides, even some of the bigger ones, cancer ones. And I started... I think because I work in a corporation and a lot of people, I'd ask people for some donations and they'd give them to me. So I was up to, I don't know, like seven, six or $7,000 in just a, maybe four or five years. I'm like, hey, you know what? I can probably hit $10,000. So I'm thinking like, okay, now I'm, I'm almost like into fundraising now. And I did hit 10000 And then I said, you know, I had this 10X rule. It sounds crazy, but I'm thinking everybody can do 10 times better than what they think they can do. So I said, let me do the 10X rule. Let me get to $100,000. Well, then we started Monkey's House. And basically, I raised most of the money because I'm running the campaigns and, and doing all that. The other day, I looked, well, maybe about six months ago, I looked. We were over a million dollars that we raised. So not that I hit the 10000 100000 now I hit a million. So I guess my next one will be $10 million. I don't know. Yes, and you can do it, right? <laughs> That's right. I think people can do a lot more than they think they can do. Absolutely. It, it, it does take the mindset. And in some ways, it also takes the confidence, overcoming the fears that you have within yourself. Was there anything that you were nervous about as you stepped into being a chief everything officer, starting the nonprofit? What was daunting for you? I think, and it still, it still is, I, I'm still working, you're constantly working at this. You, you've never become like so complacent and, oh, okay, everything's great. I'm just, you know, sitting back because I still, you know, don't management is you, know, you have the campaigns. Your campaigns are kind of fun because you can make them fun and you got your, your user phone in that you can put different pictures on. But really, you know, the hardcore pieces is, is the donor management, which people have to understand. They're the ones that you need to you know, keep engaged, right? You need, to, you need to keep kind of grooming that. And that's the hard thing. So I still need to do a better job. I feel I need to do a better job at that, really keep communicating to people. I think my wife thinks I'm crazy. I would get some of the bigger donors and, and still have some emails. And listen, wow, because I get, I also have a lot of phone numbers. I call them up. I call them up and say, hey, Chef Monkey, I just wanted to call. Like, I, again, I'm not asking for money. I'm just appreciative of people who are willing to help us with our dogs. And I call them up and just talk to them. I think most people really enjoy that. So think about that. Um, yeah, I'm literally bothering somebody, you know, it's a, either. So it's kind of that happy medium you have to find. Right. And you know, you can also just leave a voicemail that says, Hey, thank you. Thank you for supporting our cause. It's, it's making a difference. You've made an impact. You mentioned that people who are new to fundraising should really think about platform that they have, the software, the database, um, where they can communicate with their donors and supporters through multiple channels. What other advice would you give? That's a big, that's a big one. I would say, yeah, it's, it's find the right tool for you. I would say when you're just starting out, and I know you have to do these fundraisers where maybe you only bring in $50 or $100 or $200, you know, once you start growing, that's not worth our time anymore. But when you start out, it is because you don't have any money and you do have to raise money and awareness. But I also think it's not always about raising the money, but it's a raising the awareness and the mission. Because if you get people to spread the word, right, even if they don't donate, but if they're spreading the word, then you might get some donors down the road. Because the, the main mission is not about bringing money in. 
but it's about people living your mission. Like our mission is for people to understand that senior dogs with medical conditions still have a lot of love to give and to receive. That's our mission. We want people taking them and dumping them, dumping them at a shelter and where they're going to be euthanized. You know, you can keep them. You can enjoy those dogs all the way through the end of their life. That's our mission. Now, the money helps us spread that mission and the money helps us bring the dogs in here that we save and, and live out their lives here. Do you ask for certain dollar amounts that are tied to the impact that that dollar can make? Sometimes that's a great way for organizations to show very in a tangible way, $100 will go towards X medical treatment or something. I have done that in the past, but I kind of steer away from that. Some people will say they'll ask people for certain amounts of money. Like, can you, you know, we're looking for $100 or we're looking, or even if someone gave me $100 last year, I know some organizations will go out and say, hey, can you give us more than $100 this year? I don't actually do that. I am thankful for everything I get, but I do not ask people to give me more money than they gave me last year or push somebody to give me certain dollar amounts. I know a lot of people do this as well as if you give a certain dollar amount, if you give $500, then you get this. If you give $1,000, then you get, you, you're the platinum donor. I stay away from that. Just that's my philosophy. Because if you give me $25 versus $2,500, maybe the person who gives me $25 has a harder time giving me that 25 versus the person who gives me 2500 And so is your philosophy to ask all? to support you and then they can make the decision as to how much they want to give. That's correct. That's how I do it here at Monkey's House. Some organizations will go, but I, this person doesn't have money. And it's like, well, they could still give you $10 if they wanted, right? Don't make that decision for them. Let the donor make the decision. You're absolutely right. You should never make that decision for them. You know what? When you give, if someone gives $10 and if it's a struggle for them to give $10, you know how good they feel? That makes them feel good. They're helping save one of these dogs by giving $10. I would never take that away from somebody. Let's talk about some practical things. I hear often from other envious charities, yeah, we're not an animal you know, rescue organization. We don't have cute puppies. We don't have these beautiful, adorable senior dogs to put all over our fundraising materials. It's harder for us to fundraise. What would you say to them? A couple of things. One is they have to know their target audience and also focus on them, focus on what benefit they're going to get from donating to you and how you're going to help out that community or that mission, whatever that is. All right. So you're nearly six years old as an organization. You are scaling. You mentioned you scale. What is important to you? What, what are some of those other things that you're working towards right now? Our big platform is Facebook, uh, you know, and again, that kind of does match up with our audience, which I said was, you know, over 40, 40 or over is more of a Facebook crowd. We do have an Instagram account. We do have a few thousand followers on there as well. I think building up the other platforms. And I think the biggest thing everybody has to know is that they have to have a good website. That's kind of your foundation. Um, the, the website, you can put a lot of things on your website. There's so many different pieces. It's kind of hard to say, but you have to work on all of them. I really do like the the website has to be good because you can give a lot of good information on the website and then you can collect, or just collect emails from people coming to your website by giving something away. When they come to our website, if they want a couple of chapters of the book, 
then they can get a couple chapters of the book. All they have to do is give me their email address. So now I have that email address. I can put it into the donor management system. Again, I can, you know, they maybe didn't give me money, but I can put them in that system and then track and communicate back out to them to try to get a donor in the future. I have a little sleeve on the back of my phone and I don't have my work business card. I have monkey's house card. Wherever I go, I'm telling you, if I go into the convenience store and I see somebody with a shirt that may have a dog on it, I'll start a conversation with them. I'll give them my card. I'll tell them about Monkey's House. I'm like a working salesman. And I think you have to, you have to be that way. So, you know, once a day, you need to talk to somebody that you don't know about your mission, about your nonprofit. That's what I would say is that you have to keep pushing it out there. And if you're an introvert, <laughs> you just got to start somewhere, right? What what advice would you give the introvert? Like I said, you, just, you do have to start somewhere because you know what? It's, it's not about you. It's about your mission. So for me, it's not about me. It's about the dogs. I have no problem talking to somebody about the dogs. I have, you know, even at my work, they, they actually did an article on me in, on the corporate site one time. So now it's like I have free roam. Now, I don't do a lot of things because corporations don't want you really promoting things outside of the company. I will promote some things, you know, to certain groups of people about my, about the nonprofit because you need to spread the word to get your mes message out to the world. One thing we didn't talk about, which I think is really important, is monthly donors. I haven't really gone out big time and asked for them, but in our annual campaign, we, had, we give them that option to be a subscription uh, donor. And what's really nice about those, and we have about, I don't know, 70 right now. That's sizable. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, it could be anywhere from, you know, $10 to, we have some that are given $100 a month, which is, which is terrific. And that allows the nonprofit, us or any nonprofit, to know that you have X amount coming in per month to help run your organization. So if you can... Yeah, a small group of people that are going to be donating it through that subscription plan. You're going to know how much money you have every month to work with uh, on top of the other things that you do to, to raise money. It's so helpful to be able to know that you have a certain amount of dollars that are always coming in. It's great for you as you plan, you know, your annual goals, knowing X dollars are, are monthly gifts. How do you set your fundraising goals? for the next year? Well, I look at my annual expenses and let's just say, I'll, I'll example, my annual expenses are $100,000. I'm just, just throwing that out there. Then how much do I need to raise during my annual campaign? Because I know I have other fundraisers that I do through the year. I always suggest that the best thing is to have a calendar and sometimes maybe even to have a calendar on the wall and you know exactly when your fundraisers are, are going to be or your different events are going to be and lay them out for 2022 and you would have them all laid out. And what I also suggest is that make sure that you have enough space between fundraisers that they're not too close to one another because most of your donations will come from the same people and you don't want to be asking them for money over and over and over again. An example, I try to do my calendars early in the year, but earlier, get them selling them by October, early October if I can, because my annual campaign then starts at the end of November. I don't want to be selling calendars in November and then turn around and ask for a donation at the end of the year. Because some people might say, well, you know, I already donated through the calendar. So you really have to space them out 
at least a couple, two or three months in between, if you can, for your major fundraisers. You, you can have all the other type of things where maybe something at a restaurant can go anywhere. But for your major, major things, like my T-shirts, has to be in the spring. Again, I'm trying to avoid getting too close to anything else. One year, it actually pushed back to late in the, in the early fall, and I had my shirts, my calendar, and year-end. So I said, no, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> Another thing you have to be careful of, when we started getting, you know, went from 10,000 followers to, to 50,000 followers, and we were on media everywhere. Next thing, people were knocking our doors down to give us a portion of their sales of things. So someone who maybe made dog clothes, let's say. They, so there's a company who makes dog clothes that all of a sudden they see that you're pretty popular. They want you to, they're going to donate 10% of their sales to you. I've stayed away from most of those. I've done just very few of those because again, it's like almost you're constantly asking people for money as you go through the, through, through the year. I don't want to do that. I, I want to tell people our mission. I want to give them our dog stories. Oh, and then by the way, this time of year, I ask for this. Or they know about the t-shirts. They know about the calendar. So I, I try to really not focus on asking for money. I focus on our mission. I focus on our dogs, the stories. And then, oh, by the way, my annual campaign is here. My goal was $75,000 this year. And how are you thanking your donors? I thank them through emails. So it's, it's all email-based. But we also have checks that come in. So the people that do send checks in, I will write out uh, a hand note to them thanking them. And you mentioned that you'll call people as well. Yeah, I'll call people as well now and then. And like I said, I also, when my book came out last, my first book came out last year. So I said, anybody who donated X amount, right? I sent them a copy of the book. I personalized it and I sent it out to them, not even asking for money. And then next thing you know, you know they're donating. So I, I try to do things like that. Show and I appreciate them. And you want to be appreciative of, of, of everybody, no matter how much or how little they give. Absolutely agree. Okay. I want to ask you about how important storytelling is in your communications and what that strategy is like. Do you give updates every now and again on certain dogs or how do you do your storytelling? I don't know that there's, there's a strategy so much as it's kind of common sense. So we'll have a dog that has to go for surgery because they have a major issue going on. And so we'll put that out there and we'll ask for prayers from people, um, good thoughts. And then when we come back, so then we'll update them on how the surgery went and how the dog's doing. Usually our stories are not just about one dog, although it could focus, kind of focus on one dog at the time. But you also say, oh, so-and-so is doing well or this or that. Also the stories about, like I said, when we go to the beach, we go to see Sienna. One other thing that we do is Michelle is very educational as well. So she is educating, not in every post, but a lot of posts she is educating as well. When I do the post, they're more fun, more fun type posts. It's like we say, where dogs go to live. People think of hospice as a sad word, but for us, it's, uh, it's not. It's where these dogs come. They have a great time. 95% of the time, it's the happiest place on earth. 5% of the time, it's very sad. But we want to focus on that happiness and the the joy that these dogs, the love that they get and the love that we receive from them in our kind of messaging. We never want to make anything seem sad. We're always positive. And I think that resonates with our, our audience. Do you have any favorite stories from 
one of your donors, like there's just, you received a gift and, and it, you were so touched by it. Well, there's a, there's a couple of stories, but the one is, uh, is Pat. She fell in love with one of the little dogs, Ariel. Ariel's a little white Maltese poodle mix and she is missing her back legs. So we needed to get her a cart. And when you get a cart for a dog uh, that has to be fitted just right, they're not inexpensive to get a really cart that's fitted properly. So Pat fell in love with this dog. She paid for the cart. Now she's one that pays for physical therapy. This little dog goes and gets the physical therapy once a week, gets in the underwater treadmill, treadmill and moves along. So Pat has been terrific, uh, um, not just for that. She supports us and other things. But one of my thoughts at one point was to, you know how you like sponsor a child overseas? And, and so she actually is basically sponsoring this dog. But I wanted to do that in a way that people could sponsor any dog. Like I could put the dogs out there now. But that's another good way, I think, because then they really get infested. I wanted to have the sponsor a dog. And then I wanted to have that dog send out an email once a month from the dog on what they did to that select group. And you can do that with the donor management because then I would know who's donating to those individual dogs. And so maybe maybe 20 people are donating to, um, to Fifi, right? So those 20 would get the Fifi letters. And Fifi would say, you know, I, and I, what I wanted to do was get a volunteer, one of our aunts or uncles, to write newsletters for these three dogs. So, so it would have their voice the same every month, right? So the kind of, it's, you know, I, I don't want to write one in one month and then you write one or somebody else because our tunes are going to be different. So it's going to seem like, okay, this is Fifi now who's writing out and saying, hey, I went to the beach, check out the picture of me at the beach. I think that would be great. It's just, all, everything takes time. It's a fantastic idea, and you're right. Everything takes time, but you already have a vision for what's next from a fundraising standpoint of really elevating what you're doing. How do you, in your head, manage what you want to do and what you're able to do with the time that you have? Yeah, there's certain things that you have to do to be successful, and then there's those other things that will, make, that will even take you to the next level, which is the sponsorship type thing. To be successful... You do have to, you do have to communicate to the donors. You have to have a donor management system. You have to um, have great communications. I think you have to have a platform. I think you have to put something out, if not every day, close to it. It depends, I guess, on on the type of nonprofit that you do have. But I think you could put something out almost every day or every other day that people can come and see, no matter what your your mission is. Yeah. And your other piece that you're doing so well is also giving a little bit of content so that people can sign up for something so that you're able to collect the email addresses. That's a great way to build your base is to be able to put a little bit out and, you know, any help guides that you have or chapters from your book or, or just any kind of content that you could share can be very valuable if you're trying to acquire new supporters and really grow your base of, of supporters to talk to on a regular basis. As we wrap up, what's on the horizon for Monkey's House as you step into 2022? We hope that 2022 is going to be a lot like 2019, I think, so we can really get back to normal. We have quite a few volunteers. We call them aunts and uncles because we want them really engaged with the dogs. So the aunts and uncles, most of them have not come, come back yet. So we do want to get back to normal to have those come back. We want to be able to take more trips down to the beach. 
where we can go down there and have fun, or even with Santa coming up this year and then again next year. So we're going to try to get back to normal as much as possible. And that's, that's the one thing. We do want to grow our other platforms like Instagram, uh, our YouTube channel, and actually still build up our, our Facebook lives as well. That's awesome. Jeff, you've been so helpful today in, in sharing some wonderful stories and just insights on how you have grown your base of followers, how you've grown your fundraising over the years. If listeners want to connect with you, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out to you so that they can learn more about your mission and, and just learn more about the dogs that you have at Monkey's House? So they can go to our website. It's monkeyshouse.org. M-O-N-K-E-Y-S-H-O-U-S-E.org. We have some information out there. We have FAQs. They can actually email us if they want to, if they have any specific questions. And I think both my books are out there now if they're interested in looking at the book. So yeah, that's the best way to go to the website. Now it's time for the State of the Sector, brought to you by Network for Good. Jeff spoke about the value of recurring giving and how monthly giving can help sustain an organization. When you have monthly donors, your fundraising no longer starts at zero each year. And wouldn't that be nice? At Network for Good, we've put a spin on the traditional monthly giving approach and have been testing what we call subscription giving. Let me set the stage. We live in a subscription economy. People are very comfortable with subscribing to entertainment like Netflix and using services like Blue Apron, Dollar Shave Club, and Amazon Prime. In the United States, the average donor retention rate is around 44%. But with subscription-based companies, the average is 70%. And then with Netflix, it's over 90%. Can you imagine what your organization could do if you had a 90% donor retention rate? Because we live in a subscription economy, it's perfectly acceptable to ask your donors to subscribe to your organization. Starting in 2020, we've run a pilot program that we launched a partnership with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And in the first year, on average, our participating nonprofits raised more than double the total contributions of those in the control group. They also had five times more subscription donors and six times more recurring subscription revenue. Why? Because they asked donors to subscribe. There are four components of subscription giving. The first is to segment your donors into prospects, one-time and recurring donors, and then begin talking to them in those ways. The second is to make your first ask one for a subscription gift. Remember that most people care about your causes year-round, not just the day that they make that contribution. So if you don't ask, you may miss an opportunity to secure a subscription donor. The third component is to engage donors like subscribers, and this can be via short emails, texts, and videos. You could even have a group on social media that was just for your subscribers. Communicating with your subscribers doesn't have to be labor-intensive. Just focus on stories and make updates related to the impact that your subscribers are making towards your cause. Make them feel special, like they truly are a subscriber and they're getting some unique content from you. The last component is to analyze your progress using subscription metrics. Start by tracking your subscribers, looking at your annual recurring revenue, and considering the lifetime value of your donors. 
Now, the coach in me is asking what's stopping you from focusing on your recurring giving and what's stopping you from giving subscription giving a try. (laughs) Could subscription giving be a tool that you use to move your fundraising forward? If you're interested in learning more about subscription giving, visit networkforgood.com and check out our many webinars, blogs, and e-guides on the methodology. To wrap up the episode, what are the three things you need to take away from this? First, don't look back, look forward. You're gonna make mistakes, but that's how you learn and grow. Two, don't make decisions for the donor. Know your target audience and cater to their needs but don't get stuck only focusing on your current donors. Think about who you want to support your organization in the future and begin learning about their likes, wants, and needs. Start building awareness with those future supporters. I worked with the National Environmental Organization a few years ago, and they were researching the behaviors of who they thought would be their future donors in, say, the next five to 15 years. They wanted to begin building awareness with them. So these individuals that they were thinking about were in their late teens and in their 20s. And so they wanted to be on their social channels and integrated into their hobbies so that these future donors would be familiar with them when they were ready to give. And that may sound like extra work for you now, but remember, when you play in the same sandbox with the same people, you don't make new friends and you won't diversify your funding pool. So what can you be doing today to nurture relationships with your future donors? The last takeaway is to express gratitude frequently. Want to wow your donors? Thank them in different ways. Give them shout outs on social media. Profile some of your donors, large and small. Incorporate more video into your acknowledgements. It's becoming more popular And it works to make the donor feel appreciated. Donors love receiving short videos saying, we so appreciate your gift. Here is how it's being used. It really touches them and makes them want to give again. Yes, yes, you can. I'm Kimberly. See you next time on Accidental Fundraiser. And be sure to follow along wherever you get your audio.